Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Frankie Boyle. Hello. Please welcome my interpreter, Catherine King. I've had quite an eventful year. At one point this year, I even talked a guy down off a window ledge simply by shouting jump. <laughs> oh, before we get started, I should say there's quite a lot of swearing in this show. If you're not from here, swearing is different in Scotland. In Glasgow, the word fucking is just a warning that a noun is on its way. <laughs> I live in Glasgow. I think it's good for my sense of perspective to live in Glasgow, because I grew up here and I ended up becoming an alcoholic in my mid-twenties. Thanks for your support. Uh, <laughs> I had quite a rough childhood. I thought I needed alcohol to complete me. That's what an addict thinks. They think the substance they're addicted to completes them in some way. And luckily enough, I met enough good people in my life. I realized I didn't need alcohol to complete me. But it's great for your sense of perspective to live in a city that when you tell someone that, they would reply, but it's Christmas. <laughs> I grew up working class. If you want to know if you're working class or middle class, there's a simple way to tell. If you're middle class, a souvenir is something that you buy on holiday for yourself. A nice thing. Oh yeah, that tribal mask. It was an absolute nightmare getting it shipped back here. Whereas if you're working class, a souvenir is something that you buy on holiday for someone else as a memento of a holiday that they weren't on. <laughs> What's that on your mantelpiece? Fuck knows, my mum is in Tenerife. <laughs> Don't pick it up, I think it plays a tune. <laughs> in Scotland, the middle classes are civil, but not friendly. Well, the post office, down there, left, left again. Whereas the working classes are friendly, but not civil. Post office, come on, I'll show you your dick. <laughs> it's been an incredible year. We had uh, the Salisbury poisoning. To me, Salisbury poisoning always sounds a bit like a guest ale. <laughs> we don't know who did it, obviously, but the Russians said maybe Britain did this themselves to distract from Brexit. I don't know about you, but an old guy not quite dying in ZZs, that's got British workmanship written all over it. If that was just MI5 trying to distract us all from Brexit, they've had an amazing year. They must be sitting there going, well, this has been brilliant. We had that, then it was the World Cup finals, then it was Wimbledon. Prince Philip won't have to die till the autumn. <laughs> then we've got Ant McPartland's murder-suicide taking us all the way to the finish line. <laughs> Poor old Ant, there is a silver lining though. At least we now know which one is Ant. Yeah, see that one that isn't crawling out of a burning jeep? <laughs> That's deck. <laughs> the government started a moral panic about knife crime, black on black knife crime in London. And when you look at it statistically, it's not really happening. But the government tried to blame it on drill music. 
I don't think that any of this is true. I think if there was a type of music that was making young black men kill each other, the government would be fucking funding it. Yeah, I got turned down for universal credit, but apparently they're going to give me a drum machine. <laughs> Criminal justice system's different for white people, it just is. Look at that taxi driver, John Wardboys. Might have raped a hundred people. Passed his parole board! Because what could possibly go wrong there? A rapist with an encyclopedic knowledge of every alleyway in London. <laughs> nah, nah, mate, you can't rape down there, it's one way. At least there's now one rapist driving for Uber who knows where he's fucking going. <laughs> big Donald Trump came over. I thought as a mark of respect to the big man, we should have suspended our gun control laws for 24 hours <laughs> and given him a magnetic hat. <laughs> How hard can it be to assassinate that fucker? Surely! Surely quite a lot of the security are concentrating on stopping Melania from making a break for it. <laughs> he's been investigated by the FBI, so now he's at war with intelligence in two ways. <laughs> the FBI arrested his lawyer. His lawyer's just pled guilty to paying off a porn star for Trump. Must be interesting the first time that you have to ask your lawyer to do something like that. Gary. You did a really great job that time the neighbour's branch was overhanging our carport. <laughs> I need a hooker's legs breaking. <laughs> so he's getting compared to Hitler, isn't he? To be fair, he's nothing like Hitler. There's no way Trump could write a fucking book. <laughs> I just can't believe they let him become president. I just assumed they were going to lead him into a papier-mâché replica of the White House. <laughs> Take him onto the set of the West Wing for a couple of years. Do his foreign trips in Las Vegas. Well, it's all gone really well here in Paris this morning, sir. <laughs> Better hurry up if we're going to make your afternoon appointment in ancient Egypt. <laughs> he angered the people of Haiti. That's dangerous for Trump. Because you can make a voodoo doll of him just by rolling a donut around in a Labrador's basket. <laughs> he has so much compacted meat in his colon, when he takes a shit, it's technically an abortion. <laughs> Who fucks him? I'd love to know what happens. Melania clearly doesn't touch him. My theory is once a week they send in a guy whose job it is to collect semen from the pandas in the zoo. He tricks him into mounting a set of fiberglass buttocks covered in his daughter's perfume. <laughs> so he's trying to win the handshake, Trump, isn't he? When he meets a world leader, he'll try and crush their hand or pull them towards him or something. I think the trick to winning the handshake is to wear an enormous leather falconry glove. Keep looking up at the sky, kind of worried. How you doing, Donald? You all right? <laughs> yeah, Britain backs this guy up. You know, he launches missiles at Syria. We back him up. Who'd want to get involved in something as complicated as the Middle East on the side of Donald Trump? That's like asking Raoul Moat to sort out a disagreement that you've had with a violin maker. 
Brett and of course supports the Syrian rebels, great bunch of lads. Apart from that time, they cut out a guy's heart and ate it on camera. Although to be fair, they had beheaded him first, so technically it was halal. <laughs> I just try and have one joke for the Muslims every show. Welcome aboard, lads. <laughs> British foreign policy is a moral sewer. The stuff we do, we obfuscate it with language. We talk about precision bombings and surgical strikes. You can't be precise with something that you're dropping from 40,000 feet. There's a reason you don't get keyhole surgery from a guy who's fucking bungee jumping. <laughs> we practice hypocrisy. We sell the weapons to Saudi Arabia that they use to bomb Yemen to create a famine in Yemen. We're also the number two provider of aid to Yemen. And why not? Life gives you Yemen, you give Yemen aid. <laughs> we demonise our official enemies. We're all supposed to be scared of Kim Jong-un. To me, he sort of looks like a Korean Peter Kay. <laughs> Who remembers food? Remember food? What was all that about? <laughs> One person up there. <laughs> When fucking North Korean up there, fucking loving this show, man. <laughs> we gloss over the crimes of our official allies, Benjamin Netanyahu, as we fucking comb over. I always think his hair's a kind of living metaphor, occupying territory where it doesn't really belong. <laughs> the Israelis this year shot dead over 100 Palestinians at a protest. Although, to be fair, there were injuries on both sides. One of the Israeli snipers got an erection for so long that his foot went to sleep. <laughs> Must be mad training in the Israeli army, mustn't it? You know what you do to be a salt course where the cardboard cutouts pop up? You get your results back. Got your results here, lads. It's bad news. I'm afraid you shot 50 civilians. That's 10 less than your target. <laughs> and the cutout of the woman holding the baby. You killed them both with one bullet, so double points. The British media, largely pro-Israeli. Largely pro-Israeli. Even the Guardian. What's the Guardian doing back in colonial violence? To me, the Guardian is like one of those vegetarians who drinks three pints and eats a chicken burger. <laughs> the stuff, isn't there? The stuff the British media just doesn't care about. Like refugees drowning. Just don't really care about that. I think that's because refugees are largely biodegradable. If they want to make the broadsheets, they're going to need to drown clutching a fucking Sprite bottle. <laughs> you know the main thing our media does, and it's hard to understate the importance of this, the main thing it does is it normalises the patrician English voice. That's what we think the truth sounds like, an English voice patronising us. My daughter the other day, said that she heard a news report about a disaster in India and she thought it sounded funny because it was a Welsh newsreader and he sounded sad. She'd actually sound funny if it was the English voice that we've been normalised to because England was the colonial power in India. There were 10 million excess deaths under the Raj. So to our ears, a sad English voice talking about dead Indians should sound like a sad German voice talking about dead Jews. 
Good evening. Here is the news. Some Jews have died today. Oh, boo hoo hoo. There will now be slightly less Jews in the world. Oh, what a pity. Mm. Literally what we've been normalized to. Barely a fucking joke. Speaking of Nazis, I'm going to talk about the royal wedding. Uh, <laughs> Before I do, I hate the institution of the monarchy, obviously. I don't think there's much point in hating the people. I always think the Queen seems like she was quite a vivacious woman when she was younger, who's been ground down by this horrible institution. I always think the Queen seems like she'd be a good laugh with half an ecstasy in her. <laughs> I watched that documentary she did with Sir David Attenborough. It was a bit of royal propaganda about how much the Queen loves trees. And you watch it, and clearly the Queen doesn't give a shit about trees. <laughs> but she's got a charity where Britain plants trees in Africa, which for Africa must be like receiving flowers from your rapist. <laughs> I really admire Sir David Attenborough, though. I hope that he can live long enough to see the planet that he loves die. I hope it leaves a really bleak will. I want my skin woven into a noose that's used to hang the last gorilla. <laughs> what the fuck was I talking about there? Oh, the Royal Wedding, that's right. <laughs> Meghan Markle apparently appeared in an episode of CSI, I think as research for her own eventual murder. If you watch Elton John at the, the wedding, he's mentally rewriting Crocodile Rock to be about a helicopter crash. <laughs> to be fair to Prince Harry, everyone looks black compared to him. <laughs> I think he's just trying to have a baby that can survive in direct sunlight. That wedding, that was the reason that Prince Philip had to go into hospital. They weren't fixing his hip. They were trying to beat his erection down with a fucking croquet mallet. <laughs> Philip doesn't see anything wrong with having sex with a black woman. He just doesn't understand why she's still alive. <laughs> the only time Philip's ever gone down on one knee in front of a black woman, it was to tighten her shackles. I reckon Harry and Meghan probably have quite a bit of role-play in their sex life. I reckon he makes her wear a Diana wig. <laughs> while he dresses up as a landmine survivor. <laughs> Sits on her knee with his cock made up as a stump. You've got to hand it to the royals in a way, haven't you? They spend their whole lives shagging and skiing, turn up on a balcony once every 10 years and go, thanks for the money, you fucking idiots. <laughs> they must kind of know that if Netflix goes down for a week, they're probably going to get executed. Because <laughs> if Brexit can happen, I mean, anything can happen now, can't it? I know it's very popular at the minute to say 
everybody that voted for Brexit is stupid. And I really don't think that they are all stupid. I just think that there are people who voted to put an end to immigration from Europe because they don't like Pakistanis. <laughs> Nobody admits to being racist anymore, do they? It's not racist. It's just a Union Jack tablecloth for a street party to which we forgot to invite the Patels. <laughs> Even Tommy Robinson says he's not racist. I'm not racist. It's their repressive religion I don't like. It's very disrespectful to slags and benders. <laughs> Tommy Robinson just got out of the jail where he was trying to form the Anal Defence League. against strong opposition. <laughs> There's a lot of people would say you should never joke about rape, even the imagined prison rape of a horrible person like Tommy Robinson. But I'm not one of those people. <laughs> For the record, I find it really, really funny. <laughs> I actually... <laughs> If I'm being honest, though, I felt I had more in common with working-class people who voted Leave than I did with the Remain campaign. Because the Remain campaign were patronising. It was a pretty horrible campaign. Their problem was that they were asking people in Sunderland to imagine what life would be like if things got worse. <laughs> well, I've already got a fucking fridge on me front lawn. Not really that worried about whether there's going to be enough people left in the country to pick gooseberries. <laughs> Do you know my absolute favourite thing in the whole of Brexit? It was about a week after the vote happened. Britain's balance of trade figures came out. And British exports had actually gone up. And a lot of people said, oh, maybe Brexit won't be that bad after all. Someone looked into it about six months later. Turned out what it was, that spike was all the gold fleeing the country. <laughs> like hitting your ideal weight on the day of your cancer diagnosis. <laughs> now, I know that some audience members don't like even the mention of the word cancer, and you have come to the wrong fucking show. <laughs> this is a cancer-heavy hour. <laughs> there are points when I say the word cancer when another word would have made more sense. I also just like to check as well where in the audience people are most squeamish about cancer tonight. It was very obviously up there at the back in the stalls. And all I'd like to say to you people is, I hope that you all get cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you all get cancer and I hope it teaches you a little something about living in the moment, okay? <laughs> Seriously though, if you're my age, get yourself checked out because cancer doesn't discriminate, making it morally superior to Katie Hopkins. <laughs> Katie Hopkins, man, imagine getting thrown out of South Africa for being too racist. <laughs> the people that have been running Brexit have just been a fucking disaster, haven't they? Boris Johnson, a cross between a head injury and an unmade bed. A malevolent baked Alaska. <laughs> Do you know how you can tell which mobile phone is Boris Johnson's? It's the one that has written on it, not a biscuit. 
David Davis, a guy who seems to suffer from the same lack of imagination as his parents. <laughs> it's, it's like they hadn't anticipated anything. It's like they hadn't looked into the future at all. They're like the sort of people who'd let their child join a church choir without checking the prayer books for teeth marks. <laughs> one joke for the Muslims, one for the Catholics. Every show. <laughs> That's the big sticking point in Brexit negotiations, isn't it? The Northern Irish border question. And a lot of Tory MPs are saying off the record, well, maybe that'll actually turn out to be Ireland's problem. I think historically, Ireland are quite good at making it Britain's problem. <laughs> I think English people have forgotten what Northern Ireland is like. To me, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland are like two halves of one bipolar personality. <laughs> Let's get the jolly old fiddle out and stick it through some fucker's head. The current proposal is that they have a soft border with customs checks. So someone would be pulling over lorries on the border in Armagh. That's going to have a bit of danger money attached to it. That'll be the highest paid customs and excise job in the history of the fucking world. People will be retiring from premiership football to do that job. <laughs> Hang on there, Barry. We're getting flagged down by Raheem Sterling. Just to explain what it's like to you over there, right? I did a gig a couple of years ago in Belfast that was boycotted an occupational hazard. <laughs> but it was awkward because the gig was technically for Sinn Féin. It was for a festival that Sinn Féin run in West Belfast every year. So when we got off the ferry, we got met by these two guys, one of whom looked like a pretty successful heavyweight boxer. I said to him, who are you? He went, I'm here as an advisor. And my support act, who's quite a big jolly character, he went, what would you say if I said you seem like something a wee bit more than an advisor? He went, I'd advise you to shut the fuck up. <laughs> my parents are Irish. My parents come from Donegal. Very, some Donegal folk in. Very beautiful, very bleak part. Of Ireland. Everybody in Donegal has an incredibly mournful Irish voice. <laughs> My parents could make the lyrics to Zippity Duda <laughs> sound like a fucking cancer diagnosis. <laughs> and when we grew up in Glasgow, there was a lot of anti Irish racism about, which had two parts to it. One part was Irish people are stealing Scottish people's work, and the other part was Irish people are really stupid, which is an incredible self-own if you stop to think about it for a minute. If they import any more idiots, I'm going to be out of a fucking job here. <laughs> what was the case I was reading about there last week? Oh, yeah. There's a, a baker's in Belfast where... They were asked to bake a cake by some gay people and they refused because they were very religious or something. So it's all ended up in court. It's a big case over there. Look, cake is gay. 
There's nothing that you can do that is gayer than baking a cake. An icing bag is twice as gay as a gay cock. We thought all bakers were gay. We thought that's where donuts came from. <laughs> Get over yourself and bake the fucking cake. There is progress. There's progress there as well. As Fern was saying, they had the referendum in the South and the, the pro-choice people won the the referendum, I thought that was a really good sign, yeah. Because like Fern was saying, before that, Irish women who wanted a termination often had to go to Liverpool, which is tragic, but at least it's poetic. Because every time I hear a Scouse accent, a little something inside me dies. I love playing in Liverpool. I love Liverpool people. They do not like being joked about one bit. See, when I used to do clubs there, I used to always try and do a joke about them at the start to make it difficult for myself. What was the one they really fucking hated? Oh, yeah. I've been to Liverpool before, and never walking alone looks like pretty good advice. <laughs> Theresa May has said that she's going to crack down on prostate cancer. Because she knows that old people are her key demographic. You know, they relate to her. They go, that's someone just like me. She looks like she hasn't enjoyed a single second of being alive. <laughs> and hasn't come since the fucking minor strike. <laughs> She's really serious about prostate cancer. She needs to get customs and excise involved. They're already sticking their fingers up people's arses. They've got x-ray machines. Excuse me, sir, excuse me. Think you've left your phone in your pocket? And you've got cancer of the arsehole. <laughs> I think our old people get annoyed, don't they? they? They don't get the same respect old people got when they were younger. That's because old people, when they were younger, had fought against the Nazis. All our old people have fought against is gay marriage and type 2 diabetes. <laughs> I've developed a strategy for helping me deal with getting older. What I do is, every time I do something that makes me feel old, like I bend over to pick up my socks, and I make one of those old people grunting noises. I always say out loud to myself, like a fine wine. <laughs> oh, I'm going into a meeting and I've just noticed that I've got piss on both trouser legs. Like a fine wine. <laughs> we have the results of your biopsy here, Mr. Boyle. I'm afraid that they aren't quite what we were hoping for. Like a fine wine, doctor. <laughs> Like a fine wine. <laughs> I think the most I've laughed this year, I actually genuinely went down on both knees laughing at this. I went to a personal trainer in Glasgow. That's not the joke. <laughs> I went to a personal trainer who had a moustache. Now, when I tell English audiences this, they don't have the cultural knowledge to know that any Scottish man with a moustache is psychotic. <laughs> like Graham Soonis. They all speak as if they're trying to hold back some kind of dreadful memory. <laughs> this guy actually said this to me, right? He went, Mr. Boyle, I see from your food diary 
that yesterday for dinner you ate a bag of chocolate money. I didn't know that you could get sacked by a personal trainer. <laughs> I don't really care about my appearance. I think I stopped caring about my appearance when I realized that the reason that women weren't having sex with me was my personality. <laughs> I don't get that many young people at the shows anymore. The occasional self-harmer. Welcome aboard, sir. <laughs> All right, mate. You actually look like a fucking male model or something. Fronting a campaign, urging women not to leave their drinks unattended. <laughs> this is quite a good looking front row for me. Not all of you, obviously, but... <laughs> this is not bad. And then some wee fucking guys down the front there. How you doing? Taking a night off from Googling, does this dream make me gay? get the young folk anymore. And I don't mind, you know, because I don't like culture that's aimed at everybody. Oh, it's great. Granny can watch it with the Grandwains. Every fucker can watch it. <laughs> I think the job of culture is to make old people relieved that they're dying. <laughs> oh, hang on in for another day, Dad. It's okay, son. I watched Fast and the Furious 8 last night. Get the fucking pillow. <laughs> I'm not an ageist, though. Not an ageist. Certainly not when it comes to sex. <laughs> Cover my cock in scratch card foil and throw me into the fucking bingo. <laughs> Apple brought out a new phone you unlock with facial recognition technology. I think the trick is to set it to your cum face. <laughs> so if you get mugged for your phone, at least they're going to have to wank you off first. <laughs> they're bringing out these sex robots now, eh? I reckon every robot is a sex robot if your attitude is right. <laughs> I reckon in 10 years' time, everybody will have a sex robot. Well, all the middle-class people will have sex robots. Working-class people will have refugees in tinfoil suits. <laughs> fucking hell, man. This, you're a bit fucking... This is Glasgow on a Saturday night. You're going to have to step over a dead body on the way to your fucking heroin dealer. Lighting up. It's an imaginary fucking scenario I'm conjuring up here. There will be problems. There'll be problems with sex robots. I already have problems trying to get Alexa to understand my safe word in a Scottish accent. <laughs> but I think that... What the fuck was that? <laughs> was that your safe word, mate? <laughs> what was that, man? It sounded like about 40 vowels in a row, man. <laughs> I summoned Cthulhu into the audience there. Don't think about it, mate. You'll get fucked up. Don't believe everything you read in the Herald, right? <laughs> Won't fucking go well. <laughs> when you were born, 
The doctor said to your mother, do you want gas? And she said, surely it'd be quicker to just drown it in a bucket. <laughs> What are we talking about? They are sex robots, that's right. <laughs> I think your basic sex robot will be quite cheap. They'll get you on the upgrades. You'll be walking home past the Apple store and there'll be a big queue because they've just brought out a new arsehole. <laughs> or they'll bring in advertising. Just at the moment of orgasm, it'll grab you by the back of the neck and go, buy a fucking Audi. You'll think about upgrading to an advertising free robot, but you won't be able to afford it because you'll own nine Audis. <laughs> I think that the first time someone ejaculates inside a sex robot, they will feel a unique loneliness <laughs> that will provide a challenge to country music. Do you know what I think will be a problem when 3D printing comes in? Because you'll be able to 3D print yourself a sex robot. Your dad won't be able to work it. He'll keep asking you to fucking do it. <laughs> Son, print us out one of these sex robots before you go, will you? I did what you said the last time. It came out with cocks for eyes. <laughs> Technology can be dangerous, can't it? Only last year, my Facebook account got taken over by a malicious sex predator when I suddenly remembered my password. <laughs> Twitter's the one I get all the hatred on. It's always men aged between 50 and 60. Can be left-wing, can be right-wing. 90% of them say the same thing. When did you stop being funny? And the answer is almost always when your fucking wife left you. I don't get some technology, you know, like, like selfie sticks. Who are you sharing that photo with if you don't even have a friend to hold the fucking camera? <laughs> and maybe I'm not supposed to get it because I'm not worth photographing. The only time I take a selfie is to check a lump on the back of my neck. <laughs> I have a very specific sexuality that I find it difficult to service. I'm sexually attracted to undercover cops. <laughs> you think you've met one, you go along to the playground, and it's yet another 14-year-old boy. <laughs> I think I get less interested in sex as I get less capable of having sex. I couldn't really lift a woman up against a wall anymore. Depends on the wall, obviously, but... It's very few women's sexual fantasy to be jackknifed over a garden wall. <laughs> Your options really narrow at 46. You're pretty much reduced to going out with people that you've already gone out with. The sexual equivalent of eating out of the bin. <laughs> Thought Me Too was a really good thing. Thought it was a positive thing. I thought some of those people should have gone to jail. You know, Kevin Spacey turned out to be such a sex predator that at this point in history, he's not fit to play the US president. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein went to live on a ranch. Remember this, his rehab ranch. 
The last thing this world needs is Harvey Weinstein learning how to use a lasso. <laughs> I did have a lot of jokes about this subject, and I felt bad about it, because it's hard to do a lot of jokes about a subject like that without sounding eventually like you're laughing at the victims. And I'm really not. I've got a lot of sympathy for the victims. I've got a lot of sympathy for James Corden's wife, and that's consensual. <laughs> that's if it's possible to have consensual sex with James Corden. Because fucking him is so illogical. Technically, when James Corden has a wank, he's raping himself. <laughs> I try and have one joke about him on every album because I have a theory that he has a very thin skin and I just want to play some tiny part in his suicide. <laughs> I want him to commit suicide by having Aunt McPartland on carpool karaoke. Let's hear Ready to Rumble in the fucking Autobahn. <laughs> Do you know what really got me in the Me Too stuff was the Louis C.K. stories. Because I really love Louis C.K. as a comedian. What a great comedian. I loved all that stuff he did about bringing up his daughters. I don't know if you read the stories, but apparently he likes to wank at people. He basically, don't go into his dressing room, you'll come out looking like the final scene of fucking Ghostbusters. <laughs> And it made me think about this thing. Now, I admit that these two things are completely different in degree, but I saw a documentary one time about a serial killer. And at the time this guy was operating, people knew that there was a serial killer around. And the police said to him, how did you still manage to get people to come into your car? And he said, well, I'd show them a picture of my driving license, and in my wallet, I'd have a wee picture of my family, and that would lower a lot of defenses. Quite a chilling phrase. And then I thought, maybe what Louis C.K. was doing with his material about bringing up his daughters, that was his way of lowering our defences to what he was really like. Anyway, my daughter did a funny thing the other day. <laughs> I genuinely think misogyny is an ideology. It's a thing that people cling on to because they can't accept reality. I've got friends who say, oh, my ex, she was crazy. The one before that, she was fucking mental as well. All you're saying there is the defining characteristic of women who find me attractive is insanity. <laughs> you don't meet women who talk about their crazy exes because women with crazy exes are dead. <laughs> that joke would get a bigger laugh, but a lot of the people who would have found it funniest... I'm going to tell you honestly what I think about feminism. And I know that Scottish people think there's a time and a place for honesty, and it's when one of us is drunk and the other one is on their deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely think, if you're a young guy at the moment, feminism is the only thing that has a plan for you. Capitalism doesn't give a fuck about you. Materialism doesn't really care if you live or die. Feminism includes you. And when I see guys, particularly young guys, attacking feminism, do you know what it looks like to me? It looks like when the fire brigade go to a really rough housing estate and they get stoned. That's what you're doing. You're stoning the fucking rescue services, right? 
And, you know, I talk about it. I'm not even qualified to talk about it. I talk about it because there's, there's a certain type of guy in my crowd who needs to hear it. I'm, I'm a guy. I'm not a particularly woke guy. I don't even know where I stand on porn, really. <laughs> you know? Sometimes I think, well, you know, women in porn have agency like everyone else. Some of them say they're empowered by it. Other times I think, no, it's coercive. And the people who make money from it are men. And it sort of depends on whether or not I've just come. I used to be genuinely not that bothered if people got offended by jokes. You know, I used to annoy other comedians saying this. It, it didn't really bother me until it occurred to me that most people who get offended by jokes watch porn. Like most of them. There's someone right now watching torture porn going, I hope nobody makes a joke about a fucking swimmer's nose. <laughs> I think there's a difference between taste and morality, and people have started to get those things confused. Is the thing that you're offended by immoral, or is it just something that you don't like, that isn't to your taste? Because those are two different things. I've got a story that really sums this up for me. I used to teach a, a seminar in Glasgow at the Stand Comedy Club up the road about how to get started in stand-up comedy. So imagine what that was like in Glasgow. It's like a fucking outreach project. <laughs> and one week, this guy starts. Now, before I tell you this, I have to say, I don't think this guy was a racist, mate. I think that's a good start to any story. <laughs> I don't think he was a racist. I just think he'd watched a lot of terrible comedy and he'd internalized it. And, and we forget how mainstream some of this stuff used to be. But it started like this, I mean, so, I was fucking this blackbird, feathers everywhere. I fucked a coon, it was a raccoon. I went, stop, stop, don't fucking say any of this. Particularly don't say the word coon. And the guy that was sat beside me said, one of the most amazing things I've ever heard in my life. He turned around and went, isn't that just political correctness going mad? So I went for a drink with this comedian at the bar afterwards. I went, why are you doing that stuff? And he said, well, I just need the jokes. He was already getting booked as a comedian. He just desperately needed material. I said, then why don't you say, I came on a couple of blue tits. I'm a necrophiliac. <laughs> and he put his drink down and went, I have never been so disgusted. <laughs> Nothing wrong with necrophilia. It's a, a victimless crime. <laughs> My year this year has been really shaped by the fact that I've had a stalker. She moved up from England to live under a tree near my house every day, like Greyfriars fucking Bobby or something. <laughs> she got banned from Glasgow. The lucky bastard. It's like the title of a Danny Dyer documentary. <laughs> You've got to try and feel some empathy though, haven't you? Anyone who's got a problem, you imagine it comes from something somewhere in their childhood. Even those people who can't pronounce their R's properly. Most of them were, as children, sodomized by pirates. <laughs> you know, I keep that joke in the show because I think it's quite a jolly joke by the standards of this show. There's no cancer involved. 
Okay, a few children get sodomized, but also pirates, you know. <laughs> I split up with someone I really loved this year. Really, really difficult time for me. Because you can love someone, it can still not be right to be in a relationship with them. I got insomnia afterwards for the first time in my life. Insomnia is like being trapped on the worst radio station in the world. Hi, I'm your crippling sense of regret, and I'll be with you right the way through till six o'clock this morning. We'll be running through a top 40 of things you could have done differently. I think if you're ever trying to get over a relationship like that, my genuine advice to you is try and remember the bad times. Try and focus on why you left. And it can be difficult because it's much trickier to take a photo during the bad times. All your photos are of happy memories. It can be incredibly misleading. You, you, could you just put the knife down a couple inches so that, I can, so that I can see you're screaming? Thanks. But I got over it, you know. You think, don't you? You think that the night is so long that the sun will never come up again. And then one day you realize that you're blind. <laughs> so I decided to get a dog. I think getting a dog says something about you. It says, I'm so lonely that I could pick up shit. <laughs> I don't mind people getting a dog because they're lonely. It's when they get a second dog because the spaniel's seen through them. <laughs> Let's hope this Labrador's a bit less judgmental. People keep going like that to me in a minute. Why don't you get a rescue dog? Why don't you get one of the rescue dogs? Yeah, why don't you marry someone who's been in fucking prison? Because <laughs> it's fucked in the head! <laughs> I think, ironically, that's probably the joke I'll get most shit for on this album. That'll really fucking bring them out of the woodwork, won't it? I hate those people who get a really wacky pet because they've got no personality. Oh, yeah, no opinions here, but there is a python. He's called Monty. Do you know why? Because I'm a fucking cunt. <laughs> I think the spirit of our age is quite dangerous. It's quite a dangerous zeitgeist. It's a bit like the end of the 19th century. You've got a lot of concentration of wealth. You've got technological innovation. And you've got people becoming famous just for how rich they are. And where all those things intersect, that's where people like Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and Elon Musk start trying to blast themselves into space as part of the lifelong story arc to find a planet where everyone doesn't think that they're all cunts. <laughs> what has Branson done that he needs to get off the earth? Even Gary Glitter only had to leave Britain. This is why we have a Tory government as well. That's what they're about, facilitating the concentration of wealth. And I think people vote for the Tories because they know that Tories are more ruthless. We sort of know deep down, don't they, that we're all trapped on a desert island. Theresa May would have us eaten the wounded by nightfall, <laughs> while Jeremy Corbyn would be organising a seminar about whether or not coconuts have feelings. I like Corbyn. He doesn't do that well in Scotland, does he? I think because Scottish people don't trust anyone who looks old but still has teeth. <laughs> he 
he's got to get, I feel sorry for him, he's got to get those old people to vote for him, doesn't he? That's who votes in Britain. What's he got to appeal to old people with? The support of the grime community and a passing resemblance to Harold Shipman. <laughs> They've got this anti-Semitism scandal on the go. In a way, I think the problem is anti-Semitism is a very simple scandal for people to understand, simple to get your head around. In a way, what they need is an even simpler scandal. They're probably all sitting in a room somewhere right now going, look, we don't want to do this, but one of us is going to have to fuck a kid. <laughs> Miliband, put your hand down. <laughs> You're too Jewish, it'll just muddy the waters. <laughs> Theresa May has fucking lost it, hasn't she? Theresa May now has all the authority of the do not tumble dry label. I mean, she always had the charm of a fucking war crime, but now her body language is gone. I didn't realize it was possible to limp with both legs. <laughs> Those fucking necklaces that just keep getting bigger and bigger. She looks like the worst prize on a hoopla stall run by the Wu-Tang Clan. People talk about, oh, when did she lose her authority? And most people say, well, it was a party conference. Remember that party conference where she couldn't really speak? When people said that she should channel the spirit of Margaret Thatcher, they didn't mean that she should sound like she'd been deep-throating Satan for four years. <laughs> you won't be surprised to learn that got fucking booed at the Edinburgh Festival, the fucking <laughs> cunts. Man, do I hate the fucking festival. Last year, I spent 50 minutes talking to some fucking Mormons, thinking that they were pretending to be Mormons <laughs> to get me to go to a show. <laughs> As if Thatcher isn't currently a concubine in hell. As if at this second, she isn't shimmying her arsehole up and down the fourth penis of the demon Basimoth. Is that who he was trying to summon earlier on? <laughs> I, <don't mind>. <laughs> <laughs> I think Theresa May actually lost it at the general election, because we forget now, don't we, that they had a majority before that, a good majority. She fucked it for everybody. Then she stood outside 10 Downing Street where we husband behind her, the wee fucking gay danger mouse guy. <laughs> Did exactly the same speech she'd have done if she'd have won. And then at the end she went, right, let's get back to work. That's like the pilot of the Hindenburg standing there as people crawl free of the wreckage, screaming and on fire, shaking their hands, going, hope you enjoyed the flight. I was... <laughs> the cabinet's like the fucking monster mash. Michael Gove with his wee oily face. It's like he'd fall through the hole in a massage table. <laughs> Looks like he could be killed with salt. <laughs> Do you know what they're talking about? They're talking about if there was a snap general election, they'd have Michael Gove as a caretaker prime minister, Ruth Davidson as his number two. The worst caretaker since Ian Huntley. 
The worst number two since the one that Tommy Robinson's been trying to do for a couple of weeks. <laughs> do you know who's actually the bookie's favourite to be next Tory leader? I read this yesterday. Who's the bookie's favourite? Jacob Rees-Mogg. Yeah. I actually think that we underestimate him. I think we underestimate him because subconsciously we keep expecting him to be arrested by Poirot. He's one of these Catholics, isn't he, who, who's against gay marriage. He, he thinks that the Bible backs him up on this. Where is that in the Bible? Who is gayer than Jesus? <laughs> it says in the gospel, he rode an ass. <laughs> Jesus is one of the gayest characters in all of fiction. And even if you don't think that, he hung about with lepers! Lepers! Are you really saying he's going to be squeamish about seeing two men kissing? What's Jacob Rees-Mogg's argument? Jesus wouldn't have wanted to see a man with another man's cock in his hand unless it had fallen off. <laughs> what if our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, is trying to reattach a leper's cock and he accidentally wanks it a little? <laughs> when he's checking if it's back on right, Gotta check if it's back on, haven't you? What happens then? Someone should ask Jacob Rees-Mogg this. If you're ever in the audience at question time, I want you to do this for me. A question for the whole panel, but Mr. Rees-Mogg in particular. Yes, the Scottish gentleman with the moustache at the back there. What if our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, is trying to reattach a leper's cock. And he accidentally wanks it a little. What happens then, sir? The public demand answers. Before we finish, I've got a couple of wee things to say to you. Uh, one is, can we hear it one time for your sign? Interpreters Yvonne and Catherine. <laughs> can we hear it for the fantastic fan, Brady? Before, like when you go, there should be people outside with buckets of for a charity called Enable. They uh, do a lot of stuff with people with learning disabilities, a really good charity. If you've got any smash, please give it to them. Um, and uh, this comes out as an album. It's a free album for people who couldn't get to the show or, you know, maybe just didn't fucking want to come to the show. Do you know what I mean? Anyway. <laughs> I respect them as well. It uh, comes out, it's called Prometheus Volume 3, this one. I'm uh, just going to leave you with my favourite joke from Prometheus Volume 1. There's always a moment for everyone, isn't there? There's always a moment when you lose your childhood innocence. For me, it was the moment when I realised that Santa's sperm tasted exactly the same as my dad's. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Take care of yourselves. All the best.